Welcome to the Sunday Times Politics Weekly, where we explore the big political stories at the moment. I'm Mike Siluma, and thanks for joining us. Uh, The last local authorities' elections have been hailed as an indicator in some circles of a rapidly waning influence of the uh, long-dominant ANC. But they've also given us a foretaste of what life might be like under a national coalition government. On this week's edition of the ST Politics Weekly, we look at the phenomenon of coalitions and how they might impact our lives going forward. Our guests for that conversation are Ibrahim Fakir, who's the Director of Programs at the OWAL Socio-Economic Research Institute, uh, Lindy Wendlela, who's the Head of Programs at the Public Affairs Research Institute, as well, of course, as uh, William Gumete, who's Associate Professor at the School of Governance at Wits University. With immediate effect. When people saw us, and I quote, in two years' time, Eskim's problems will be a thing of the past. People won't even remember load shedding. Unquote. They put saliva on the paper. I'm in charge. That's why these fools are running around here. I'm in charge. And then they share that zone. Point of order, Jefferson. Order, Jefferson. Point of order, ruling party by order. Must step aside within 30 days. No, I'm not going to apologize. He has no brains whatsoever. The AFP president was sabotaged again yesterday. Well, sabotage, that can be This is not a shit. Ram, shall I start with you? You know, because probably more than most people I know, you have studied back and forth, in and out, our electoral system in South Africa and how the, what's written on paper has actually panned out in reality. Uh, the, 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 just the background, how do coalitions come about after an election in our context? For example, in the local authorities' uh, elections. So in our context, what would happen is that the local government election is held and the electoral system at local government level is a split between pure proportional representation, half of the seats are allocated on that score, and the other half are allocated on the basis of a first-past-the-post constituency, what we call a ward system. So what we would do is we go to an election, then all of the votes which are cast, and you remember everyone who goes to a local election would get two ballots, one ballot for the ward or the constituency representative, and a second ward to choose a party. Those who live in district councils would get a third one, which is to choose on a pure proportional basis the representatives for the district or party for the district uh, municipality. But let's not worry about that for now. Then there's a complicated formula which is used to allocate the seats and the proportions. Um, And there's subtractions and additions and so on. But the long and short of it is that there's half proportional seats and half PR seats. What happens in practice is that then the council is constituted on that basis. And then the numbers break down as they do. And then parties see who has the majority and who doesn't because, you know, then all of the seats are held um, by the parties or in some cases there will be individuals or independents who would have won a ward or a constituency election. But they then either decide to throw in their lot with another party or they stand apart, stand as independents, 
uh, and outside of that system. But by and large, the cookie crumbles on the basis of the numbers that you get. And then if you have 50% plus one of the seats, you get to form a government. Uh, if not, then whoever gets the 50% plus one uh, will form the government. And then how, how you muster that support is dependent on how you negotiate. So as you can see, everything is left up in the air. And it appears as if our electoral system, though a good mix between the advantages of proportional representation and the advantages of constituency representation, means that it is engineered in a way in which when you don't have a full or a complete majority, that means 50% plus one, that you could end up with a party who has the most number of votes but is kept out of government by other parties who band together and come up with the 50% plus one. That's one option. The other is what you had post-2016 is you had minority governments. That is governments which didn't actually have a formal coalition but were given what I would call supply support on an individual issue, and on this case, that issue is putting people into office. They they vote for one party and put them in there in those executive positions, and they run the council. So that's how it's come about. But the the coalitions are formed purely on the basis of negotiation. There's no formula. There is no prescription in law. There are no thresholds. That means, in other words, you don't have to achieve a certain minimum on, amount of support to find yourself in government. Uh, it is purely a private issue between the parties. They decide amongst themselves, and then they decide to go into office. So it's 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 led to a lot of belligerence. It's uh, led to a lot of indictiveness. Um, and as you can see, uh, a lot of opportunism. So, so, so the system isn't necessarily itself bad. I think we've got a problem with the way in which the system is configured, the fact that the party's privilege their PR counselors over their ward or their constituency representatives, and that needs to change. Uh, the fact that you've got a democratic logic which is being subverted on all sides, by the way. So there's one half of the argument which says, well, because we had the most number of constituency or ward representatives and we're the largest party, even though we didn't get 50% plus one, we should be represented in parliament or we should be represented in council or in government. It doesn't. It doesn't work. Yeah, William, do you want to come in here? You know, of of the back of uh, what what Ibrahim has just explained. I think you are starting to go into the realm of whether this is actually you know how workable the current system is. Now, when you look at what has happened in in Eguruleni, in Joburg, in Teguini, Etswani, all of those places, would you say that the system has actually worked? In, in 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 the favor of citizens in those cities. No, uh, thank you for having me. I, you know, so far, if you look at the coalitions, um, um, it hasn't uh, uh, in its entirety worked for ordinary citizens because of, you know, coll collapse of many of these coalitions. I think first thing is, uh, you know, the question is, why do we see the collapse of many of these coalitions? Um, possibly... It starts off with we don't have uh, the mature political culture for coalition. So that's that's the first thing. Um, and then the second thing is the way coalitions are put together. Um, there's a flaw often in the way that coalitions are put together 
often um, the parties that are the majority parties often want to dominate the coalition uh, totally, the, or, or you know, the, uh, the government forms out of the coalition. And secondly, related to the weakness of of, of putting to, together coalitions, there's often no proper uh, agreement, legal agreement on you know what a coalition stands for. So you know it's not legally binding. That's why um, you can see parties uh, jump up. Um, you know, after a couple of months, we see here in Johannesburg um, Metro. And then thirdly, there is no um, upfront conflict mechanism mechanism or you know outside the arbitra in case um there uh, um there is a dispute and then we are we are also struggling with how to oppose coalition so it seems that some parties think the way to oppose a coalition a governing coalition is to make it collapse now that is not certainly not a way one oppose a coalition so um, we'll have to build a culture also on how to oppose in the same way that we have to build a culture, of course, of how to oppose effectively, even if it's a, a, a one-party dominant uh, a government. And, and, and uh, the, the, uh, Cicilindu, I'd like for you to come in here just to give us an idea. If, while the political parties are fighting over the spoils, as it were, you know, you know, fighting over who should be the 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 the, 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 the mayor, who should be the speaker, etc. Um, what has been the impact in the functioning of government and on 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 service delivery, if, if I may put it that way? Uh, I mean, look, we've seen we've seen in Joburg and all the other uh, places that you've mentioned that actually service delivery suffers. And I was looking at this yesterday, and I'm thinking, you know, we've got. Um, protections from legislation um, and actually what you need to be seeing is the separation between administration and politics, right? So in the case of any municipality, for example, there would have been an IDP that has been adopted and a budget that's been adopted by the municipality. So whilst the political parties are fighting, we shouldn't really be experiencing um, any kind of a disturbance in service delivery because, uh, in effect, the administration headed by the municipal manager should be able to get on with their business. The politics should be the politics, but um, that's not what we find here uh, in South Africa because that divide is, has been eroded or it hasn't really developed to, to be strong enough. And I think to to add to what William and Ibrahim have been saying, it it it, it uh, it's a function of how quickly these uh, coalitions have been put together. I mean, first of all, legislatively, I think a government has to be formed within. Was it? Is it? I think it's about a month or so, and and that's that. That's not enough time um, for um, political parties to really find their footing. And it really shouldn't just be about the politics of it all in terms of the seat and who occupies which seat and uh, who's the mayor and who's this one. Um, it should actually be about how do we best serve our, our, our constituencies here. You know, um, it should be anchored in, in what was promised to the electorate. So parties somehow we've seen that they forget what was promised and they want a winner-takes-all system when actually 
uh, they haven't gotten the votes to do that. So maybe let me stop there. You mentioned the, the, the what did you say? It was the IDP that you called it? Yes, the Integrated Development Plan. So for those of us who are not as, uh, as, as, as immersed in the issues as you are, what, what is it and what, what is it supposed to do? Okay, so after elections, um, there has to be a five-year strategic plan uh, of how that council is going to um, kind of like implement the development in the in the area, in the, in the local area, and it it has to have the vision, the mission, uh, all the priorities of that municipality over a five-year period, and this is a document that's reviewed annually to basically. Review the, the the projects, review the the priorities, um, and usually it would be the ma- the mayoral priorities. We have seen uh, that the intention is good in law, but in practice it doesn't really work that way because in many instances the IDP is kind of like uh, put aside, it's done and put aside, and it gathers dust, dust, which on its own signals to a number of failures. I think in the in the control system. Uh, of 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 our local government system, you know. So, I think on paper it looks great, and maybe you can download any municipalities IDP, and it will tell you what things are going to be done. And if people are true to the intentions of the law, then a budget that accompanies that then becomes a business of the council of the municipal administration to ensure that development does indeed take place in accordance to the IDP, which would have been the will of the people and, and ultimately the will of the council and the representatives there in accordance to what the municipality can, um, can uh, uh, afford. You know, it is, um, it, it is something that uh, needs to be consulted. You know, we've got a participatory democracy system in local government. So, so communities have to have a say in, 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 what, in, in, in how they want to see that their area develop. And then council and the municipal administration have to put all of that in the budget. You know, obviously, uh, in most instances, these are wish lists, but there has to be some kind of processing of what these priorities are in accordance to what the municipality has in its budget. And the municipality has to go back to the communities to say, actually, based on what you said you wanted, this is what can be afforded. Um, and then it, be- it should become the buy-in um, by which development takes place in, in municipalities. It has to have the input of provincial and national government. And I would be the first one to say that it hasn't really happened that way for a number of reasons. Um, but actually, in legislation, we've got, we've got these protections, but they are not uh, adhered to, you know. So cutting back to the point about if we were true to the intentions of our municipal legislation, we wouldn't have to experience any disruption in service delivery because the whole role of council is really oversight and just making sure that the ideals are adhered to, but the actual business of delivering services, it's not for the councillors. It is for the administration to be able to do that. Mm. Ibrahim, do, do, do I want to come in here off the back of uh, of what Lindue was, was saying? I mean, she, she talks about budgets. She talks about the IDP. She talks about, if she even goes as far as talking about a kind of Bible that, you know, that there that, that, that would be a kind of program that the city should be following. 
But what what one has what, what one has noticed is that there's a big fight around who's going to be the mayor. You know, part of the horse trading has been who's going to be the mayor, who's going to be the speaker, who's going to get what, uh, who's going to get what MMC ship and all of that. What 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 why is that? What what is driving that? If we've got all these regu- you know these legislative guidelines, etc. And it looks like the parties are fighting really about positions. That, that seems to be what makes or breaks a lot of the negotiations that you referred to earlier. Is there a prize to being the mayor, for example, of Eguruleni or some godforsaken town in the back of beyond? There's, there's plenty of prizes available. Uh, and, that price, and that prize is obviously the ability to influence and direct uh, public spending uh, to... Even though ordinarily, uh, and Lindy were so eloquently able to expound all of this because much of the early institutional, legislative, and procedural development uh, was something she worked on. I think she's shy to say that. But, you know, well crafted as it is, the reality is that the politicians know that they're not able and should not be able to, and are not, in fact, able to, in terms of the law and in terms of procedure influence contracts, influence tenders, and so on. But that is precisely what they do do, behind the scenes sometimes. And that is why the uh, predatory politics and the nature of our predatory politics is such that they want to get into those positions despite and in spite of what the IDP says, in spite of what their ward committee, quarterly ward committee uh, feedback meetings would tell them, uh, and 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 the quarterly meetings held by ward councillors. So this is merely about continuing the trend uh, of what we saw nationally about state capture and corruption, malevolent state capture and corruption. It's happening much more perniciously uh, at local level. There's even further safeguards in the legislation. You know, so much of the early stuff we were talking about, Mike, about how the proportions uh, determine, you know, the numbers determine how the cookie crumbles and who gets into what position depending on what numbers you can you can, you can muster the legislation makes allowance for the MEC at provincial level um, the MEC for local and provincial government or for local government uh, or cooperative government depending on which what the province calls it they are empowered to intervene and change systems at least in metros uh, towards a collective um, executive system, which means that parties would get in the executive portfolio a seats on the basis of proportions of their support. But MECs don't actually do that, despite being empowered to do so, because it's not in their political interest. This predatory kind of politics, this accumulative, acquisitive predatory politics, which is very bad and leeches off the public, is merely done in an opportunistic fashion because they want to influence contracts and tenders and public spending and so on. And many people say, oh, no, this is patronage politics. Well, of course it's patronage politics, but patronage politics is appropriate if the patronage is being dispensed to constituencies in society which actually need it, which require it, and which form and transition people out from one set of livelihoods into another. In this case, we're not even seeing that. We're not even seeing classic patronage politics. We are seeing very crude uh, predatory politics. Uh, and that's what's driving this kind of opportunism and this kind of belligerence. 
you know, at the beginning, as, as uh, in the in my intro, I said that you know when when the first, when the first time we saw the ANC losing its dominance in the in the in in, in the cities and towns and, and places like that, uh, there are people who are very celebratory of that to say finally the stranglehold of a dominant of a one party dominant uh, uh, arrangement uh, is is ending. You know, and we we we're going to have uh, a more more I don't know, but maybe people are hoping for better governance, especially given what has transpired in the last thirty years or so. Uh, but now the the, the concern uh, is whether we are likely to see if the, in other words, if coalition government is transferred to national, whether we are likely to see the same kind of chaos. You know, in 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 parliament and and, and in the national government. Hey, William, do you want to come in there? Um, yes, I mean, you know, in general, if we look since 2016 at a local level, um, the performance of the coalitions compared to the performance of ANC dominant um, governance at a local level, um, they, you know, the coalitions actually have done much better than than dominant ANC governance at a local level, despite the fact, obviously, of some of the spectacular failures of coalitions. Um, here in Johannesburg and Schwanitz and and down in PE uh, and so on. So broadly, the coalitions actually have done much better, despite you know the instability and so on. But coming back, I think what we must prepare for is that um, if the ANC gets into the opposition at a national level, um, that it will almost play the same type of disruptive role as an opposition player that it has been playing um, in, you, you know, in some um, of the coalition, coalition government, governments um, at the city level. Um, so, um, you know, we've been, um, we've been calling for the ANC um, to, you know, to lo- either to lose power in order to bring in accountability or to be in a coalition at a nas- national level to, to, to ensure that the ANC will um, bring in some accountability, but there is real, the real da- danger that um, that if the ANC goes into op- op- opposes at a national level uh, coalition government, that it will be a disruptive rather than a constructive force as as an opposition. Mm. And and Ibrahim, what what do you think is likely to happen? Should we all be very worried, or should we should <laughs> should we just be be chilling? You know. No, absolutely, we should be very worried. We and I think we are very worried. If anyone doesn't think that South Africans are worried, then they're living with their heads in the sand. What we do have, though, Bramaik, uh, is the fact that there's incredibly low levels of trust in all political parties across the spectrum. Now, this lack of political trust and political confidence in the parties is starting to animate public institutions. So you have major declines in the trust and confidence that public institutions are enjoying, which means that there's a major credibility crisis in government. And unfortunately, when a, when a credibility crisis is prolonged for as long as it, it has been in South Africa, the reality is that there may be a legitimation crisis for those people in power and authority. And that me- means it leads us to kind of you know, institutional ambiguity in that the public institutions don't know what their role and function is. And like Lindewe mentioned, they are insulated or should be insulated by rules, by procedures, by budgets, by decisions which have been made. And the public service should, the civil service rather, should be running and implementing those programs. And the politicians 
just merely exercise oversight over them. But they don't. Uh, we have a complete inversion and perversion uh, of that process. So that's the first problem. The second is that the parties profit out of this 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 ambiguity. So you have institutional ambiguity and with it politicized uncertainty. So the uncertainty in the system, when the numbers don't add up and you don't have one clear winner and un unable to form government, they politicize the uncertainty in the sense that there's constant chopping and changing. The partners change from time to time depending on their interests. Uh, no, you can never calculate who is with who and on what basis and why are they together because it means that we have completely unprincipled politics. That means our politicians, our political parties don't even pay fidelity to basic principles, to basic values. Uh, and here you think your basic values you teach children, honesty, truth, um, fidelity to a set of principles, something you agree to, that you stick to. Uh, so we have we have an immaturity uh, in our parties and our public representatives who don't have any fidelity. But in the whole end, look, this does represent an opportunity for civic actors, for activists, because they it means that they can then try and 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 lobby. They can try to um, incept changes. Was it's it open up? It opens up that space. The problem, though, is that we have a very heavily party based system. And, and, you know, short of having fundamental electoral reform, I don't think you can change that system and that political culture very easily because the political culture is, is being entrenched in that way because you have an overly dominant party-based system. We need to break that stranglehold of that and, and give less power to the parties and more power to citizens to be able to hold parties, but also ordinary public representatives to account. And, and we can't do that in the system. Okay. Assistant, the last word goes to you, um, you know, again, off the back of what uh, Ibrahim, the last point that uh, Ibrahim uh, has, has just made. Do, do, what, what recourse do we have as citizens? You know, I mean, you said that there are budgets that uh, sometimes are already set that have to be acted upon. Uh, there's the IDP that the people who have been elected have to follow. If, if they, that doesn't happen and if they keep half their lives fighting for positions. What course, what, what course would we have as citizens? We, we just need to know our rights. And I think Ibrahim is right in that an opportunity here, you know, they always say there's this, with every back cloud, there's a silver lining. And I think the silver lining has that we are seeing is that citizens just need to uh, take up the space, know their rights, know what's, what's, um, what's allowed and what's not allowed. The, you know, the system of, 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 of this dominant system of political parties is, 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 a, is part of the problem, but it also indicates what people do in, in, in when they belong to political formations. It looks like the issues of accountability are, are quite low on the list and, and then they get foisted on, on, on the, on the general public. The one thing that um, we haven't touched on is on these on these coalitions at local government level, is this issue of the fact that these coalitions are being put together by the political parties at national level. You know, so one of the things that kept rearing its head, especially in, in Jowick, has been that, but we've agreed with the DA locally, or we've agreed with this political party, uh, but they were overruled by the national their national office. 
we, we, we haven't, I think our politics have not matured to the point where if you're a local government leader, your city should surely be more important uh, or, or issues that lead the city and uh, or the locality should be more important than than what's going on at a national level at the policy space, you know. But what we see is that uh, some of these positions that kind of what the sort of agreements that can be that can be agreed to and reached, you know, in, you know, for the benefit of the city, somehow some differences between the EFF and the DA or the DA and and, and, and the petrochemical fund that are happening and taking place at the national stage, they come and play out at at at, at, at the national at, at, at the local level, you know. But I mean, to answer your question, I think we we are back to 1993, 1994, where we need to upping our game around civic education, around this, because also protest actions don't help, you know, uh, when these protests happen. They happen in a very angry space where 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 infrastructure is spent, you, you know, and then we start all over again. So we, we do need to educate people, we do need to up um our game around understanding what's what's allowed, what's not allowed, and we do need to punish political parties that behave badly at the at the polls. And I know that uh, I'm coming up with a solution that says what happens when a political party behaves very badly. In year one, they have to wait for, for, for five years. But I think if, if, if citizens are empowered with tools of holding them accountable, uh, municipalities are supposed to have uh, community uh, report back um, meetings. And we, we need to be demanding those more and more to say, come and tell us what you've done. And if you haven't done what you said you were going to do, we need to get used to the fact that there are these IDPs they they saying, you know, there are these manifestos. We need to ask, where's this, where's that, where's that? In a way that um, is constructing rather than destructive. And at the moment, unfortunately, people are so frustrated that they get angry and they bang everything out, you know, inside, which, which doesn't serve us as well. Thank you. Yeah, and unfortunately, we've just about run out of time. And that's where we will wrap it up on the Sunday Times Politics Weekly for this week. And we'd like to thank our guest, Ibrahim Fakir, who's the Director of Programs at the OWAL Socioeconomic Research Institute. Uh, Lindy Wenzela, who's Head of Programs at the Public Affairs Research Institute, as well as William Gumete, who's Associate Professor in the School of Governance at Vets University. We appreciate your time. I'm Mike Siluma. Until next time, do stay safe, stay blessed. And let's do good for our country.